0: Well, good morning. If you have a Bible, turn to Ecclesiastes 7. Does anyone need a Bible? I brought some up. Does anyone need one? Because we're going to need them today, um, as if we don't uh, other days. But um, there's also some on the back table if you're scared to raise your hand for some reason. Um, I want to prepare us. Um, th- this weekend, I find myself unprepared. I was hunting with my dad, and um, we're in the woods, and he had um, shot the biggest deer he'd ever seen, um, but it ran off, and so we're, for two hours, we're tracking this deer, and literally just following um, a blood trail, and I'm on my knees looking for blood, trying to figure out where did this deer go, okay? Okay. Um, and so it got to the point, like, you know, two hours. Uh, We're like, okay, um, I'm not just going to stay on my knees here. I'm just going to go that way, okay? Um, I'm just going to walk down that way, and probably the deer will just be laying down there, hopefully dead and ready for us to uh, celebrate, right? Um, and so um, I, I go down the hill, and I'm looking around, and all of a sudden I hear something, um, and, and I I'm on a trail, and I turn around. And right behind me, this deer, the biggest deer I've ever seen in my life, and probably 10 or 12 point buck, is coming at me. Okay? And it had been spooked down the hill by my dad and was coming right at me and saw me and it stopped in his tracks and then it turned and ran. And my dad had my gun. And I was just like, no! Um, and I was just like, I just can't get this deer out of my mind, because, you know, sorry if you're not a hunter, but like, I've never seen a deer so big in my life. Uh, there was an opportunity for me to, um, it, to, to get it, and it didn't happen. Um, I wasn't prepared. Um, I want us to be prepared this morning. If you haven't figured it out, um, Ecclesiastes requires our brain. Um, it's It's hard. It's difficult to fully get our minds around the the wrestling that Solomon um, is is doing. Um, But what's what's incredible is I hear conversations from some of you talking about God changing your perspective on life through this difficult book. Um, I I don't know how many of you um, enjoy this, but one of the things that I enjoy doing is just um, I've had a lot of great conversations with my grandparents over the years. And just engaging them and asking them about life and asking them about their experience. Um, I just remember probing, I remember being a young kid and being in the garage with my grandpa and just asking him, like, what is this tool and what is this? And just gleaning from his life experience. And so I want to I invite you into that this morning. I want to prepare you for that. Now, you probably experienced that um, already in our time through Ecclesiastes, but what we're doing is we're coming to, the, to hear from the wisest man who walked the face of the earth next to Jesus. Okay, And he says in the very beginning of the, the text that we're going to look at, he says in 7.15, In my vain life, in the mist, the, the vapor of my life, I've seen Everything. Okay? He says that to his glory and probably also to his shame. But this is a man of, of experience that we can sit under and learn from and hear from what he's walked through and what he's gone through in his life. And so I just want to ask you today will you sit hungry at the table this morning? Will you sit in these chairs this morning? a desire to learn from the word? Or will we be unprepared for really what God wants to do this morning? Um, Because one commentator put it this way, the reason why you can trust the book of Ecclesiastes is because there's sorrow in it. You ever have conversations with people that have been through deep sorrow and you're like, you're listening, right? Right? Okay? That's one of the dangers of being a young church is we don't have a lot of life experience. We haven't been through a lot of deep sorrows in our lives and so do we really understand? And Solomon's like, here I am, a man of wisdom and I have a ton to say to you, but will you listen? Will you listen this morning? And the truth of the matter is, is that we can understand nothing apart from the Spirit of God. So 1 Corinthians 2 says, So let's go to him and let's ask him um, to come and speak to us. Will you you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the difficulty of the book of Ecclesiastes and even the the darkness that comes into it, um, that that comes out of it a lot, um, that we're not really sure what's going on at times. It's confusing, it's hard, it's hard to wrestle with. It leads us with more questions than answers at times. But Jesus, we run to you right now and we ask that you'd teach us. We ask that you'd give us insight. We ask that we'd have a renewed focus to hear and learn from you this morning. Would you fill us with your spirit? Would, you, would your spirit open our eyes to the truth that's present here? And Lord, would you guard my tongue? teach us this morning. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. So Solomon's going to begin with the the million dollar question. Um, I don't know if you've been asked this question, um, but but here's the question that Solomon's going to begin with in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 beginning at verse 15. Here's the question. Why do bad things happen to what? Finish it. Good people. Why do bad things happen to good people and it seems like the wicked get off the hook? Right? Okay, let's, let's look at it. Let's hear how he puts it. Um, 15. Ecclesiastes 7.15. If you're in uh, our Bibles, it's page 358. Here's what he says. In my vain life I've seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Okay, like, so that's the question. Like, why, why do bad things happen to good people? Why is it, and we've, we've seen it, we've, we've been to funerals of, of, of people who, it's like, man, this person was such a pursuer of Christ that died young or seemed like an unjust death. Why would God take this? It seemed like this person could be such a key figure in the game of redemptive history. But God takes them. Right, And it's like there's wickedness, and, and those people are prolonged on the earth. And it leaves us perplexed. It leaves us scratching our head. It leaves us wondering, why in the world would, would God allow it to go this way? It doesn't make sense. But if we're honest, when we look in the Bible, we see what? The call in Christians' lives to suffer. The call in Christians' lives to go through pain as a picture of God's sufficiency, God's greatness— And I think when we come to this question, here's the simple truth that I want to lay out for us. It's that God owes us nothing. Like, we're looking at it wrong, are we not? Why do do bad things happen to good people? Well, first of all, there's no such thing as a good person. We know from Romans 3, right? Okay? But we're looking at it from the perspective, God, you owe me something. And I'm living in such a way that, that puts you in my game to respond based on how I live. When in reality, the truth is, like, the only thing we deserve is hell. And anything apart from that is grace. We live in a broken world where a lot of what happens in life, and we've heard this from Solomon, what happens in life just kind of leaves us scratch in our head. What, does it make sense? This is one of those questions that on, on some of, we can look at it biblically and we can answer it biblically, but there's something in us that's like, it just kind of doesn't make sense. Even why God wouldn't just do away with us. Look at verse 16. Be not overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of this, and from that withhold not your hand. For the one who fears God shall come out of both of them. Okay, now, here we go. You ready? Okay, what is Solomon saying here? Okay, when we look at it, it almost seems like this is the call for moderation. Okay, he's like, don't be too righteous. Don't be too wicked. Okay, Um, in in philosophy, the Chinese um, philosopher Confucius called this the doctrine of the mean. Okay, like this this middle of the road. um, The Buddhist philosophy would call it the middle way or the middle path. okay. In Greek philosophy, the philosopher Aristotle, who sat under Socrates, he would call, I'm sorry, Plato, he called it the golden mean. Like, this, this middle place. Like, don't, don't run too far to the right, don't run too far to the left. we got to stay right here, middle of the course. Let me give you an example, okay? Um, take, for example, courage. Okay, let's say you're courageous, And in your courage, you do it in excess. What does that lead to? Recklessness. Okay, take any young, like high school boy that's courageous, okay? Um, In excess, what does it do? They wreck their lives, right? Okay, but but in deficiency, what does it produce? Cowardice, right? So the, the Greek philosophers would say, courage. In order to be courageous, we have to stay middle of the road. The golden mean. We don't want to run too far to the right. We don't want to run too far to recklessness. We don't want to run to cowardice. So we need to stay middle of the road. Okay, now listen. This is not what Solomon's getting at. Okay, be be careful. Are Are you hearing me? Okay, Solomon's not saying we need to be um, a middle-of-the-road, mediocre, um, church-going, good citizen who, you know, goes to church, is involved kind of partially, um, but isn't putting too much stock in, like, actually pressing into the things of God, or isn't, you know, really the staunch, outright atheist, but like, kind of this complacent, middle-of-the-road Christian. It's not what he's saying, okay? But yet he's calling to something different here, okay? A picture of, of, and here's what I want to pack for the next several minutes, a picture of self-righteousness. Okay, because what's happening here is, it's this reflexive verb that kind of comes back on itself in verse 16 when it says this, Be not overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Here's the caution. I want to give a caution. Here's the caution that Solomon is trying to get us to see is there's a way to be right that's wrong. You hear that? Brains. Did you bring them? You bring them this morning? I tell my daughter all this time, use the brain that God's given you. Okay, but by His Spirit, because we can't understand this unless the Spirit is active in our minds. There's a way to be right that's wrong. Now, in, we're in church, right? We're pursuing right living, right? On some level. But here's the caution. There's a way to be right that's wrong. There's a pursuit in right living that's wrong, and it's, here's what it is. It's self-righteousness. It's relying upon myself, my abilities. It means, even, hey, what you talked about. Like, I can't do anything. I can't accomplish anything apart from God's activity in my life. Even my own morality. Here's what the self-righteous view is. I'm doing okay without God. Like, I've arrived. I've come to a place where I'm okay. I'm not teachable. Okay? I've heard it all. I know it all. Now we wouldn't say those things necessarily. But we tend to live that way. Okay, so I want to go into three types of self-righteousness. Okay? Um, The first one I want to go to Luke 18 and you can look at these with me right on the screen. You don't have to turn there because I'm going to go through them fairly quickly. Um, But Luke 18, the first type of self-righteousness. Look at what it says. Beginning of verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So that's the picture. A person who trusts in themselves. Their own ability to be righteous. Verse 10. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men Okay, here's the first type of self-righteousness. It's staunch legalism. What I'm calling staunch legalism, and it's this perspective that we see in this Pharisee. Okay, now, I know this is what a lot of us have come out of, okay? Now, there's extremes in there. There's extremes of legalism, right? Okay, but but a lot of... uh, You in this church, a lot of us have come up in legalistic environments, in legalistic settings. And so we observe this and we see this. So even as we're unpacking this, our tendency is going to be like pointing the finger. We're thinking of people. We're thinking of, you know, a church. We're thinking of um, an organization. We're thinking of a family member. And even in, in thinking through this, we're automatically stereotyping and pointing and carrying a spirit of self-righteousness even in our identification of a sinful place of living. Do you understand that? So we're becoming what we're saying not to become even in the unpacking of it. But here's what staunch legalism is. It's this exclusive um, separatist uh, don't come near me because you're sinful. Don't get your sin on me. Um, It's very judgmental. I'm so glad to have you on his team. And he would not know what to do if you weren't. Right? I mean, that's the view, is it not? That, that's the view of the staunch legal, this too walk. I just know. More than I'm good for. <laughs> too much. Big headed. And it rests in that. Here, here's, here's the summary of it. Everyone else is the problem with the world. And if we could just reach those rebellious teenagers, if we could just reach those atheists, everything would be okay. There's no concern for their own heart, or their own soul. So that's the staunch atheist. Let's look at the second one. This is the most dangerous and I think the one that we'll all have a tendency to fall into. Revelation chapter 3, verse 15. Here's what it says. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Okay, now stop for a second. Because right now we're like, yeah, I've heard that verse countless times. I know where he's going with this. But the gold in this text is the next set of verses. Not that verse. Okay? So stay with me. Um, you're, you're, because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out. Okay? We've heard that countless times. But look at verse 17. And listen to the heart of the self-righteous person hearing this. For you say, I'm rich. I've prospered. I need nothing. Not realizing that I am wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Here's Jesus. Listen to Jesus' claim here. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire. What is that a picture of? It's a picture of purity. It's a picture of sanctification. It's a picture of righteousness that's found in Christ. So that you may be rich and white Garments, so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Me okay. Here, here's here's what I'm going to call this: content indifference. Content indifference, and here's what it is: it's this view. I'm just okay. I'm I'm, I'm okay. My soul's okay. Um, it's kind of a not really that bugged by sin. Not really um, feeling a need to press into Christ. I can be present, but not really be present. Okay? Um, I can be in community, but not really be in, allowing my soul, my heart to be engaged by that community, to, to have my sin addressed by that community, to address the sin of others in that community. Content, indifference. And here's the deal this is so dangerous because we can be convinced that because we're physically present here this morning that, that we're okay. And the truth of the matter is that all of us are not. It's a person who doesn't really have much regard for pressing into Christ, for reading their Bible, for spending much time devoting in prayer. Tolerant of sin. And it's the view of pretense. You know what pretense is? It's a hidden agenda of self. It's like I have this motive and outwardly it looks like I'm I'm right. And I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. But inwardly it's a twisted motive that is for my own gain. Content indifference. Now go back to Ecclesiastes 7. For the third one. And look at verse 17. It says, Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? Here's the third one blatant wickedness. Now you're like, I thought you were unpacking self righteousness. I am. What's self righteousness? It's me on my own defining my morality. Okay. In a postmodern world, What's, you know, I define what's right for me what's right for you is right for you what's right for me is right for me okay, don't tell me what's right and wrong okay blatant wickedness it's just giving into the things of the world pursuing the things of the world maybe even coming to a place like this maybe in being, being involved in Christian community but still just living however you want here's the deal about all three of these. They're all self-serving. Are they not? The staunch legalist, the content indifference, the blatant wickedness, they're all about me serving myself and attaining my level of morality, whatever I want it to be. And then here's the striking thing, if we're honest. All three of them, look at the other ones, and what do they say? I'm glad I'm not like them. Right? I mean, maybe you put yourself in a list here. Maybe you, put your, you, you identified with one of these. Or when I was unpacking the staunch legalist, you're like, I'm glad I'm not like them. And I'm glad I'm not in the blatant wickedness. Like, they're all self serving. Now, what does Solomon say? The result is what does he say? Somebody, what's the result of this? What does it say? Verse 17 and 16. The result is your own destruction. Here's what he's saying. There's a way to try to be fed by the things of yourself, try to be fed by the things of the world, all the while thinking you're fed by the things of God. But here's the deal. You're eating away at your soul. You're literally the things that God calls us to be pleased by. You're eating away at your soul. Now, continue on in verse 18. It is good that you should take hold of this, and from that withhold not your hand, for the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. Okay, hold up. We need your brains again. Okay, it says, it is good that you should take hold of this. What is this? Righteousness. It's good that we should pursue righteousness. Okay, so he's not proclaiming this middle of the road, um, the righteous get get off bad anyway because they're going to die anyway. But he's saying it's good to pursue righteousness. It's good to pursue the life that God's called us to live. And from this, withhold not your hand. What is that? It's the other side of it. Wickedness. Wait a second. Wickedness? Here's all it is. Be in the world, but not of the world. Be in the world, but not of the world. In, in distinct and engaged. For the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. So the calling is the very thing that Rick unpacked last week about fearing God. Which really is this proper view of who he is. This proper view of who I am. And then responding in my life to that. And resting in who He is, and who I'm not. It's fearing God. Now, um, here's my assessment of of us as a church. Um, I've been thinking and praying just about what God's doing here. Um, man, it's been it's been incredible to watch just the journey of life um, and transformation happen in our five years, okay? And and here's kind of my, um, kind of where I think, what I think God's doing right now, Um, and I think early on, there was just, like, we were just a really immature church that was just cool with being cool and not really, you know, putting cool, like, we can do cool church, right? Okay? Okay really not pressing into the things of God, and so in, in the past year, really, we've pressed on this thing, um, this, you know, awesome notion that we, you know, as elders, we got on our hands and knees, and we prayed, and we're like, we need some grand idea that's never been thought up, and we're like, discipleship. Wow, that's what we're supposed to be about. Imagine that. And so, like, we started pushing in that area, and man, who are you meeting with, and who's meeting with you, and um, who are we discipling and growing up and maturing in the faith? And here's the amazing thing, like, those are relationships are all over the place. Like, I look at faces and I'm like, man, I can name people who are meeting with people and, like, and, and just know stories that are happening of people diving deep into the things of God. And it's incredible to watch us mature as a church. And here's what I think is happening. Part of the struggle in our lives Part of the suffering that we're enduring in that is that we're in the game. Like, okay, a cool, immature church isn't a threat to the kingdom of Satan. Do you hear that? But the people of God that begin to take seriously what it means to be the people of God and live out our identity as disciples who make disciples? The enemy's not liking that. And so we're beginning to have to wrestle with some of the idols that we thought we could hold on to while we pursued Christ. And God's like, no, you need to let go of all of those things. It's not Jesus plus anything or minus anything. It's just Jesus So, God calls us into this fearing Him. So, in the midst of that, okay, back to the text, Solomon's, Solomon's like, okay, should we pursue righteousness? Because those people just die off anyway. And should we pursue wickedness? Like, is, it, is it a middle of the road approach? And He brings us back to this reality there's a way to be right that's wrong, there's a way to pursue righteousness that's wrong. Now, go look at 19. It says, wisdom gives strength to the wise more than ten rulers who are in a city. So what is he saying? He's saying, we, we don't just discredit wisdom. We don't just throw out wisdom. Okay? Um, because wisdom is important. The scriptures even said, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It says, wisdom is, is better than ten presidents. Okay? when put in perspective of who God is and the fear of God. And then, and then Solomon, okay. Solomon's going to get really confusing. You ready? Okay, so he's just like, D- don't be righteous. Um, you know, like, it just doesn't work anyway. You're going to die or before your time. And then he's like, but be righteous because it's, it's all about not being self-righteous. And then, here we go. Um, he just spent all this work trying to unpack why you should really be righteous in the Lord. And then look at what he says in verse 20. Surely there is not a righteous man on the earth who does good and never sins. Come on, Solomon. Thanks for that. uh, You know, we we were beginning to make some headway out of the the confusion that was present, and then you're going to throw that one into the mix? There's not a right... Like, why be righteous? There's not a righteous person anyway really what is he saying? He's unpacking depravity. What's depravity? Let me give you a picture of depravity. Tuesday night at my house, um, is playing with her cousin Ty. Um, they're fighting over, of all things, an iPad, okay? Not my iPad, no my iPad. I'm like, neither of your iPads, right? Like, did you buy that thing? No, okay. Um, and so, um, Ty's running away with the iPad, which is like, you don't run with an iPad? Okay, that's one of our rules that we're just continuing working on. Anyway, um, Ty's running away with an iPad and Mikhail's chasing him and Mikhail gets up to him and Ty turns around and just absolutely decks her right in the side of the face. I mean, it was like, and I was just like, I took a step back, just like, whoa. And I'm like, Waiting to see how this is going to play out, right? And then Mikhail just started bawling because it hurt, right? I hurt her pride a little bit. Like, Tobin's never done that to her, right? <laughs> At least on that level, okay? And uh, Ty's mom was there, and uh, he got a whooping, not by me, not by me, but um, now. I'm very confident that Ty does not see his dad hitting his mom at home. Now, Ty, when mom doesn't do right, here's what I do. No, what is that? Like No one taught him that. No one sat him down and did a lesson on how to, you know, how to get revenge. That's a heart. Yeah, you could chalk it up to he needed a nap, blah, blah, blah. That's a heart that's wicked that needs to be transformed by God. That's depravity. That's what Solomon's getting at, that that we have wicked hearts that need to be changed by God. And then he he goes in, he gives an example in 21. Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Okay, if you've ever been wronged by someone, if you've ever um, felt like you're the the brunt of a joke or um, the the thing to laugh about or or, or whatever, he, he says... It hurts, but if we're honest, look at twenty twenty two. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. Because you might not be the one that's doing the hitting, right? But in your mind, oh man, you're hitting like it's nobody's business, right? You're thinking thoughts about people and how you want to retaliate. It's depravity. It's it's we have a wicked heart. Verse 23, all this I've tested by wisdom and said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? He's, this is like Paul in Romans 7. He's like, I want to be right, but I can't. Like, I try to pursue it, and then I even ask myself, is it worth pursuing? Pursuing? Are the things of God worth pursuing? Is a righteous life worth pursuing because I can't really acquire it? I can't attain it. 25, I turn my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom in the scheme of things and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. He he comes to grips with his own heart. Now, if you're familiar with John Piper, pastor in Minnesota, um, he's a guy who's a, a, a real, well, the thing he teaches on all the time is God's sovereignty, okay? And he was asked this question, um, Pastor John, when is it you doubt God's sovereignty? Okay, which is like asking LeBron, when, he, when is it he hates playing basketball? Okay? So you're like, you know, wow, that's a great question, a guy who's such a huge proponent of God's sovereignty. When is it you doubt God's sovereignty? Here's his answer. He said, I doubt the sovereignty of God at the slowness of my own sanctification. I don't know if you resonate with that. But if you do, if like there's a weightiness to that for you, And I believe this morning you're in a really good place because continue on. Look at what Solomon's going to say in verse 26. And I find something more bitter than death. He's going to unpack the sinful condition, the problem of man. I find something more bitter than death. The woman whose heart is snares and nets and hands are fetters. He's talking about the adulterous woman from Proverbs 7 He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. So he's, he's talking about the, the wrestle with sexual immorality, which for Solomon, if you want to talk about a guy who just gave himself to it all? Okay, 700 wives, okay, 300 sex partners. Okay, come on, it's kind of overkill, Solomon, right? I mean, seriously? Kind of make Hugh Hefner look like a joke. He he gets this. He understands what it means to pursue everything. But here's the the nugget of truth that's in this um, that transformed my life. What did he say here? And this isn't just a guy thing. Um, It's also a girl struggle as well. Um, What did he say here? Look Look at the end of 26. He who pleases God escapes her. But the sinner is taken by her. So the nugget of truth is: is victory is found in pursuing the Lord, in pursuing His righteousness above our own, not pursuing moral behavior or or not being a sinner. That's what it's saying. I run hard after Christ. In the process, He'll be enough. Sin will be defeated. 27, behold, this is what I found. The preacher says the preacher while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things which my soul has sought repeatedly but I have not found. One man among a thousand I've found but a woman among all these I have not found. See, this alone I found that God made man upright but they have sought out many schemes. Here's what wisdom is. Wisdom is coming to grips. It's admitting you don't have the answers but it's running to the one who does. Okay, because Solomon says here, God made man upright. God made you and I, in his eyes, perfect, righteous, set apart, a design to live in his presence. And what happens? We sought out everything but that. We sought out everything but that. So what is it for you? What, what, what is it? Where, where do you run? Where do you run outside of who God is? What he's called you to? This life that he's called you to? Because self-righteousness, you know what it really is? It's manufacturing the obedient life. Which happens when you live absent of the Spirit of God in your life. So here we sit under the wisest man to ever walk the face of the earth next to Jesus. And he unpacks some confusing yet powerful truth that apart from the living God, we have nothing, we are nothing, we can do nothing. And so here's what I want to plead with you this morning, if you'll let me. Will you and I just stop running? Will we stop running from him? Will we stop trying to find meaning in this life, from this life? Do you follow that? Like we're in this life, we're living life, we're trying to find meaning from the thing that God says will never bring meaning. And will you run to him? Will you heed his warning this morning? Will you be teachable this morning? One of my favorite psalms right now psalm 119 165 it says great peace have those who love your law for they will never stumble not who love the world not who love the greatest fashion trends not who love the job that's high paying not who love the stage and look at me and the big church and great peace have those who love your law what's his law all the commands of God met in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Attributed to us, not by our merit, but by His grace alone. And that's enough. Psalm 16, 2 says this. Apart from you, I have no good thing. Like, Will we, will we run to that this morning? Will you? Will you run to that? And be led out of here this morning with that notion. So maybe you find yourself battling on some level with being a staunch legalist. Will you humble yourself this morning? Maybe you find yourself this morning as the the content indifference. Jesus says in Revelation chapter 3, be zealous and repent. Maybe you find yourself this morning dabbling in Things of the world. Will you be honest with yourself and the Lord? We're going to respond to the Lord. And here's how I want to do it. Um, As we respond, as we stand and we sing, as we um, stand and come forward and we give of, of all that we are through tithes and offerings, as we take the broken body and shed blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sin would we do it under the banner of psalm 16:2 god nothing apart from you nothing and would we lay down our frivolous pursuits that believe the lie that we have something on our own let's pray Jesus, you are so wise, and we are so foolish. And we're left so often convincing ourselves the opposite, convincing ourselves that we have something. that you don't, or that we have something, that we know something that you don't. And even in the wisdom of Solomon, we're just not quite convinced. Or maybe this morning we are convinced, but we're left paralyzed at our own defeat, and our own sin, and our own paralysis, and not able to press into you. So I pray this morning that you would Show us your worth. Show us that you're a treasure. Would we see you in a way that we've never seen before? Would we run to you in gratitude for all that you are and all that you've done? Would we come to the table um, of your broken body and your shed blood? And God, would we come to grips this morning that you're enough for us? God, would you let us loosen the grip this morning? Just let go. Let go of our sin, of our pursuits, of all that we want, of you, want to be. God, maybe we just need to hear that you just, you don't love a future version of us. You love us. So God, we come to you and we Hold tightly that apart from you, we have no good thing. God, would you come? Would you meet us? Would we never be the same in Christ's name?